Hi, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview future and current speech-language pathologists. Here, you can learn all about what it's like to get started in the field, see how paths and interests change, and connect with people going through the same things you are. I am your host, Chris Ubieta, and I am currently a second-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Hey y'all, today's special guest is Jody. She is an SLP in Fort Worth, Texas. She works in a private practice, which is pretty much what we're talking about today, and her primary population is kiddos with ASD. This interview took place in my sister's house, so we ended up having her on as a special guest appearance in the last 15 minutes where she asked some questions that new parents might have when they have kiddos under two. So thanks to both of them for today and let's jump right into it. Hi everyone and welcome back to Speeching It Real. Today I have on Jody. We are going to be talking about private practice, working with kiddos, and lots of other things like COVID, school, grad school, super fun stuff. So Jody, how are you today? I'm good. <laughs> Just worked a long day, so now I'm here. Oh my gosh, what did you do today? Um, I saw, I think I had 14 sessions today. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a nice full day though. We like it. We oh like my full God. days. How do you get your notes in? Uh... I do them on the weekends. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to have a ton of questions about that. Yeah. Well, we're paid per visit. So the more kids okay. I see, the more money I make. So can't that, complain. That was literally a question. That yeah, is what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, so I did my undergrad at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Um, and I loved the program there. It was amazing. I totally would have done my master's there, except our family is here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And so it was just kind of the right time for us to make a move. Um, so I ended up doing my master's at the university of Texas at Dallas. And I was there from 2019 to 2021. So COVID, Mm -hmm. um, and it was a great experience. And then I graduated May of 2021, I started my CFY pretty much right after that in June, and then I've been at my private practice now for a little over two years. Amazing. I'm going to jump into tons of that, but before we even do that, why did you choose to pursue a career in speech-language pathology? Actually, so when I first went to Texas Tech, I was a theater major, Mm. which um, was something that I was passionate about in high school, but I knew it wasn't a career. I just didn't really know like what to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm good at this. So I'll start with that. Um, And then kind of explored some career options after I got there. I was accelerated in changing my major because the theater program was more work intensive than I realized. And so I kind of had to make a decision quickly and change my major. Mm. So I did some, you know, personality quizzes or whatever. And I always knew I wanted to help people, which is so cliche, but like, that's all I really knew that I wanted to do. So speech therapy came up in my searches and we had a program at my school. So I emailed the program director and I asked if I could just like talk to her about 
what a speech therapist is and mm-hmm. what they do because I didn't really know. And so we had a great meeting. I was in there for like an hour and she told me pretty much you don't have to know what you want to do yet because there's all of these options. You can, you know, work at a hospital or a private practice or little kids, big kids, mm-hmm. adults, grownups. And I was mm-hmm. like, perfect because I don't know what I want to do. So this is a good career field for me to decide later pretty mm-hmm. much. So that's how I started that. And then kind of over the course of my education, there were people that stood out in my life that could have benefited from speech therapy. And so kind of being able to connect my education to those people, I was like, I can really make a difference here. So that's for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. So one thing I really want to harp on for half a second mm-hmm. is so many people keep talking about these personality quizzes. <laughs> and I'm like, um, excuse me, why did I never get one of those? I, my mom was like, maybe you should just, my mom's a school counselor. Mm. So she's, you know, she's middle school. So she doesn't really do that sort of thing, but she knows about it. And so I literally just Googled like, what should I be when I grow up? And then some, can I do one now at 30? I probably, I mean, you're almost going to school though. (laughs) I'm still going to do it. I'm not going to lie. I need to go find out if I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. A little bit too late. That's fair. Well, I mean, you can always go back to school again, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would totally go back. I want to get my doctorate. But That's brave. This isn't about me. It's about you. Mm-hmm. So you gra- You said you graduated in 2021. You mm-hmm. went in school. You were in school during COVID. I was. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that experience. How did you get your hours? Was it stressful? Was your university helpful in getting you through that? What was that like? Um, yes, they were very helpful. So I started my grad program in the fall of 2019. So I had one semester completely on campus. Um, so I did my full semester on campus there. And then the next semester was, you know, we, we never came back after spring break. Um, so I had started to do my adult on campus placement and we were working with stroke and aphasia clients. Mm -hmm. And so obviously pandemic, they weren't going to do telehealth. And they also obviously was not safe for that older population to come back on campus anytime soon. So we pretty much just suspended that program I don't think it came back until maybe the fall of 2020. I think it might have been suspended for two semesters. Um, So post-spring break, all of our coursework went online. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the professors were recording and then uploading. Um, And then we did a lot of semi-case. (laughs) We did a lot of semi-case that semester. No. Yes. Immediately so, now. <laughs> so much simucase. By the time I graduated, we had two TAs specifically for simucase. We would all log in and they would put the, the simucase up on the screen and we would kind of collaborate on the questions, clicking the things. You know how simucase is. Oh, yeah. Um, and so mm-hmm. if we were there live, then we got our hours because it was like supervised hours, which, you know, there's there's like only a certain percentage that you can get that are supposed to be like simulated clinical hours. Um, but since those were supervised, then they could count. So that's how a lot of people got their hours. I was lucky enough that summer to get a placement. I know a lot of people in my cohort didn't get placements that summer. Mm. Um, but I was in home health 
I was commuting like an hour and a half to go to this placement, but oh I was just glad to have my hours and to not be at home. We were living with my parents at that time. So it was my parents, me, my husband, and my sister all living in the house. Pandemic, you know, nobody's leaving. Mm -hmm. So I was glad to go to my placement. Oh, yeah. So it was good. And then I was in a school in the fall. And by that point, really, I was done with my hours. With the SIMU case added in, I had enough, um, but I still had another semester of school. So I did a fifth semester of externship or mm -hmm. I guess third semester of externship because mm -hmm. the first two were on campus. Um, but I really didn't need those hours. I was just working for fun and for free at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, with this immune case, I could have, if I didn't have coursework, I could have been done after four semesters. Was it hard when you finished school? Cause 2021 people were so kind of in the COVID mindset, mm -hmm. was it difficult to find job opportunities? I honestly, I think I only interviewed like two places mm -hmm. and I got the second job that I interviewed for. Um, I, well, actually I did a phone interview for, uh, an ABA company that was wanting to bring like a speech therapist on full time. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said she was going to call me for an in-person interview and never did. So I don't even know if that counts as an interview, mm. but that was the first one. And then my current employer was the second one. So it was different when we first started, like our, our clinic lobby was still closed. Um, all the parents waited in their cars mm -hmm. and then, um, they walked the kids to the door. We saw the kids and then we walked them back to the door. Um, so it was different, but I know my bosses, there are two of them. My bosses needed things to get back to normal. So mm -hmm. they were only closed. I wasn't there at that time, but they were only closed for like maybe two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did a lot of telehealth, but a lot of our kids needed to come back because, I mean, we're talking about some severely autistic children that like, obviously they can't do telehealth. Yeah. And so no they had to bring some of the clients back into the clinic, just, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be right to charge insurance for ineffective therapy, trying to do telehealth. Yeah. Um, so they went back pretty quickly. So it was a little different, but they were really pretty much back to normal by then. Yeah. And were they doing any home health? No, all okay, of our work good. is in clinic. That's good. Yeah. That's cool. So what was your graduate school experience like? Was it a positive one? What were some of the things that you wish you had known about programs in general? It was a very, like, it wasn't, it was neutral. Like, it wasn't negative, but I also don't feel like I got a lot of, like, those lifelong genuine, like, friendships that you would normally build in your grad program, you know, when you're all, like, suffering in the trenches together. Um, we were very isolated. I was also living 45 minutes away because um, I was commuting from my parents' house, which was nice because we were living pretty much rent free. Um, so it was worth the drive, but, um, I really struggled once we went virtual because all of my f would have been friends. I mean, they're still friends, but not those close, genuine kind of friends. They were all living in Dallas, you know, all in apartments within 10 or 15 minutes from each other. Mm -hmm. So they continued to see each other and study together and, you know, connect outside of virtual classwork. And so I didn't really get those opportunities, which I mean, in hindsight, I could have made more of an effort also, but between coursework and internships and family, it's hard to... And COVID. And, <laughs> and you know, a whole global pandemic. Um, it's hard to kind of prioritize that. So I do feel like I kind of missed out on 
that uh, the social aspect of grad school yeah for sure and I talk a lot about how for me that's really important like I don't think I know I would have been successful Mm -hmm. but I feel like I would have felt a lot more challenges had I not had a group of friends and that sounds difficult Mm -hmm. I could have yeah Yeah. it was just kind of like do your work and watch your videos and get it done you know Mm -hmm. it was just Mm -hmm. kind of it was just kind of like a checklist that you worked through rather than being like an experience. Yeah. You know? So coming from that, what advice do you have for grad students? Get connected, make that effort. You know, I do regret that I didn't, like I said, prioritize that. Mm-hmm. It felt like there were a lot of other things that were more important, but now looking back on it, it's like, I really wish I had stayed in touch with some of those people and kind of fostered those relationships a little bit more. It does feel like a lot to try and make friends and hang out on top of all the other things you have to do. But I regret not prioritizing that more. So yeah, yeah. I've talked about it a lot. Having someone you can turn to and complain about school saves a lot of relationships outside of school. Mm -hmm. Like if you can find people to bond with that understand what you're complaining about, you're not bringing that into your relationships where people don't understand. Yeah. And it really gives you opportunity to have stronger relationships outside Mm -hmm. of school. Your mom doesn't have to listen to you complain about school. Yeah, she doesn't understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then it takes too much mental energy to try and give all the backstory that's required for them to then understand. You're like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Totally. Totally. I do that to my fiance all the time. Yeah. I'm like, never mind. Just forget it. And he's like, no, I'm trying. I'm trying. Or even my mom. And I'm like, you don't understand. This is everything. And yeah. it's not everything. But in the moment, it feels well, like I feel like I have to review like the entire everything, the whole coursework <laughs> leading up to the story so that they get it, you know? Yeah, totally. So when you were in grad school, were you always interested in the pediatric population? I kind of knew coming out of undergrad that that was going to be my focus. Mm -hmm. When I first started, I kind of liked the idea that I could do anything, but just in the process of my two years of undergrad, kind of knew that was the direction I was heading. I liked having a couple of adult placements just for the experience, Mm -hmm. but even in those, I was like, these are eh, okay. I really like working with kids. I really like working with kids with autism. That was like a big population that jumped out to me during my school externship. Um, there were two classrooms on that campus that were just like self-contained only ASD kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like a teacher, two paras, and then like five or six kids in each of the classes. And Mm -hmm. so I spent a lot of time down there with my supervisor because pretty much every one of those kids we saw twice a week. Um, so I really liked being in that environment and helping to support that staff in facilitating their communication throughout the day, not just in those 30 minutes that we're there. A little off topic. Mm -hmm. When working with kids with ASD, what is some advice that you have for people who have either never worked with someone with ASD and they might be getting their first clinic placement with a kid with ASD or for people who are interested in it and have worked with some kids, but maybe still generalize those thoughts? Um, to be <laughs> patient, be patient. It's, it's really sometimes slow going. Um, I have 
one client that just jumped into my head in particular who came into therapy and made like so much progress so fast. And then we really hit a plateau. Mm. And so we're really kind of like, we're in the trenches right now. Like we're doing the same thing every time. Mm. Um, and I know he can do it, but it's like some days I'm like, oh, we're doing this again. You know, like we're still working on this particular skill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take them a long time to kind of really get those skills down, you Mm -hmm. know, and then you're going to see them and then they're going to go away and then they're going to come back and they're going to go away. Um, so it really is, it's a waiting game. Mm -hmm. I feel like we really have to be patient with those kids and really keep pushing. Um, but knowing that it's, it's going to be slow going sometimes and that's okay. Yeah, totally. Do any of the kids that you worth work with, this has been a hot topic for Mm -hmm. me lately have big behaviors like flipping over tables big behaviors okay (laughs) I love your response because this is the hot button and hot topic for me what are big behaviors we say that so generally and I feel like that is confusing for Mm -hmm. people especially for new students can you tell us a little bit about what big behaviors could look like and how you might characterize them and why they're called big behaviors but what they actually mean to be a big behavior? That's a multifaceted question. (laughs) Um, so I think big behaviors can be like that very typical. Like I have one kid that like, we have to move everything breakable off of the front desk before he comes in because he just finds joy in like breaking things. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's very satisfying for him to watch things like break. Mm -hmm. So my plant has to go in the cabinet, you know, like my computer goes in the drawer, Mm -hmm. everything gets put away before he comes. So he's like, you're probably stereotypical, like, Oh, big behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I have this other little guy who just like, he's very, he gets very sad. Like he just doesn't like when things are interrupted and he likes to do, he really likes his alphabet. So once he gets going on the alphabet, you can't stop him because he gets so sad and then he'll like really cry. And then he does, no, 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 no. And it's so sad. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, and, and then if he gets too agitated, then he's, it's kind of cute. He does this little, like, you know, like how a cartoon character will like run into the wall and then they like, Mm -hmm. lock up their body and then like fall straight back. He does that. (laughs) Um, So it's very cute because he's three, but Mm. it's probably not going to be cute when he's 10 um, or, you know, 15 or 20. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's like a really broad behaviors can be a lot of different things. And I just try and always remember that like behavior is communication And he's trying to tell me something. He Mm -hmm. doesn't want me to stop him from finishing the alphabet. And so we've learned, like, we just have to get all the way to Z and then we can do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. But it's, you have to kind of take a step back and be like this, this is coming from a mom, a new mom perspective too. Cause I, I've learned this a lot with my own daughter. Like they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I've been trying to think about a lot as like having a baby also, Mm -hmm. um, but also in my work is like, they're not doing this to make your life difficult. You know, like he's not breaking the vase because he's like, Miss Jody's going to hate that I broke this vase. (laughs) You know, like he's trying to get something or he needs something or he's trying to tell me something. He's having a hard time, but he's not trying to give me a hard time. So I I try and 
take that perspective. I'm going to write that on something and <laughs> write it on your journal every day. Just yeah. Have background on my phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's helpful. It's helpful. That's really important to think about it in that way mm-hmm. with any client really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good way to, it's, it's a good way to kind of take a step back and kind of reset because sometimes you get like, you're, you're just, I feel like sometimes behaviors, you're just like beating your head against the wall and you're mm-hmm. like, this is just hard. Mm-hmm. I'm just having a hard time. But then you have to also think like, well, they're having a hard time and what are they trying to communicate with their mm-hmm. hard time? So yeah, it's, it's such a, I feel like you think that like as an SLP I, or an SLP grad student, I'm thinking that, mm-hmm. but I haven't put it into words, yeah. what you just said. Like, mm-hmm. obviously I know that someone's trying to communicate with me mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different reasons and a lot of different ways that they're doing that. But to put it the way that you did, like, they're just trying to find a way to communicate something. And it's important to listen to what those little things mean within Mm -hmm. those movements and within those gestures and within those actions. Well, and it's hard. It's hard in practice, too. Like, you're still sitting there and you're still feeling like, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. why is he breaking my stuff? You know, (laughs) like, why are you doing that? I just Um, got this plant. Yes. It's my brand new plant. Um, And so it kind of like, sometimes I just have to stop in the middle of my session and be like, okay, I need to take a reset because Mm -hmm. I can't be my best self if I'm letting myself start to feel that overstimulated, anxious sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's, there's some personal regulation that needs to happen before I can help them to kind of regulate too. Totally. I just learned this um, when I was taking care of or helping out my sister and taking care of her kiddos. I had to stand outside the room before I went to pick up the baby when she was crying, like in the middle of the night. I mm-hmm. had to be like, breathe. She can feel your body. <laughs> she can tell that you're like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Right. So you have to just take a breath, walk in and be like, I'm just a body for you to lay on while you figure out what you're ready for. <laughs> yeah. Are you hungry? Are you sleepy? <laughs> I'm just going to be here with you while you figure that out. Exactly. I will follow your lead. I will have no emotion. (laughs) For sure. That's how it is in in practice sometimes too. Yeah. So your private practice, we mentioned before, specializes in pediatrics. Mm -hmm. You offer fluency, Arctic, ASD, social skills, EI. What is the primary population that you work with? Um, It's pretty diverse. Um, I'd say probably like half. Well, I'd say probably half and half. I probably have like half autism or like language sort of delays. Um, maybe not autistic, but you know how they all kind of look the same when they're little. And then as they start to develop, Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, that really wasn't. Um, so I have some like about half language kids and about half articulation kids. Um, a handful of our ASD kids are using devices. Um, a lot. We have um, a couple that are just kind of just working on their R's. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're almost done. I always feel like we're almost done. But then, you know, that that generalizing to conversation is really where they get you. Oh, yeah. um, so I have one. That we've been. She's a first grader. So we've been working on R's since she was four. She's got all her other sounds down. She's going to be six. Um, and we're just still trying to generalize into conversation mm-hmm. with her. So um, it's about it's 50-50. It is. Those darn arms. That's tricky. Yeah. I always am trying to find something that they can put next to them that reminds them, like mm-hmm. some sort of a visual cue. But also when you're in school and you're starting school, what 
does that look like in a way that doesn't also feel obvious? Because you don't want to be different. (laughs) No, it works really well for us. Those little plastic colored wristbands. Mm. Um, I put those on their wrist sometimes to kind of be that visual reminder for them. But the key is you have to change the color frequently because when your brain sees the same visual sim all the time, then Mm -hmm. it starts to cancel it out. So um, we'll do a green one for like a couple weeks and then we'll do a pink one for a couple weeks. Um, She's not there yet because she's not like – um, aware. She's not Mm self-correcting, but I have a couple that are self-correcting if they think about it. And so we do a wristband, but you have to change the color. So love it. That's a really cool idea. I like that. We try. (laughs) Okay. So I have a few more private practice specific questions if you don't mind. We talked a little bit about it offline and a little bit about it at the top, which is that your hours work based off of your client base, how Mm -hmm. many people you see. Yep. What does that look like? And also, okay, no, I'm going to ask this separately because it's a totally different question. So what does that look like? Um, like pay per visit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, we have four clinicians. We, mm-hmm. we have four clinicians in our practice. Um, my business director who originally started the company, she doesn't really see kids anymore. She kind of just steps in where, where she's needed to kind of just fill in. Um, our therapy director is kind of taking a step back from the day-to-day casework. Um, she does our initial evaluations, but then she tries her best to get those kids on either my schedule or we have a clinical fellow right now. Um, so we're kind of the two primary like speech therapists for like sessions. Um, so the goal is to keep our schedules as full as possible. And then she just kind of takes the overflow or like who doesn't quite fit. Like we have a couple of like sibling sets where mm. I'll see one and we really try if we have two siblings to see them at the same time. Um, so she'll see the other, um, mm. that sort of thing. So yeah. she kind of just fills in the gaps. And so when I have a cancellation, I'm really lucky that we kind of have a backup. So if she has a client in that time, I'll see the client. And so we, we try to keep it fresh for our kids like that too, because we find that sometimes the same old, same old gets boring. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of start to see a stall in progress when we're doing the same thing every time. So sometimes we see that like, if we switch therapist for a session or two, every once in a while, it just kind of livens things up again and keeps things going. Um, so she will kind of fill in my gaps if she can. Other times I just have long breaks and we just work on our paperwork so we don't have to do it on the weekend. Yeah. But yeah, my days are pretty full. I work 9.30 to 5.30 Mondays and Tuesdays. And then I stay a little bit later on Wednesdays and Thursdays because my daughter is at home with her dad. So I don't have to pick her up from daycare. So I stay an extra hour. Um, So my typical caseload... I typically see 12 to 14 sessions a day, 30-minute sessions a day. Yeah, we're not doing an hour. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think why do people try to do an hour? It's so hard to maintain. Like, I can barely maintain that. And when you're working especially on Arctic, like, you can only drill them so much. Yeah. And even when you're doing play, like, they know that they're in therapy, especially after a certain age. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just hard for them. Yeah. So we usually do 30-minute sessions. Um, Most of our kids we see one to two times a week. We have a couple that we see three times a week Mm. um, just because 
there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and they need that time with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of our kids also do um, OT. They're at our clinic, but they're not through our clinic, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. our OT rents a space out of our building, but mm-hmm. she's not employed by us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and stack our kids so that like if they have both speech and OT, they come for an hour. Mm -hmm. So they do me and then they go to her or they see her and then they come to me. Um, So we try and stack their schedules that way so that they only make one or two trips a week instead Mm of three or four. So Um, you kind of co-treat together. Yes. And so sometimes our kids are there an hour anyway, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't do an hour and then have them do another 30 or 45 minutes with OT too. So that would just be too much for them to handle. So a big question, Mm -hmm. hard to kind of sum up. So cover what you want. Okay. What are some of the pros and cons of working in a private practice? Um, I work for a small company, so I can only speak for like working in my very small company because there's only four of us. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know what it would be like in a corporate type or like a larger setting, but we have a lot of flexibility. Like my boss is very understanding. Um, I kind of mentioned vaguely, but I have an almost one-year-old. So like the last year has been a little bit different for me because I'm not usually someone who just like takes off or calls in sick. That's not usually me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my daughter got COVID and so I ended up having to be out for a whole week because she couldn't go to daycare. Mm. Um, then I got COVID from her having COVID. <laughs> so then I was out. Um, so that, um, and then we just, you know, we had like we threw up in the middle of the night, so I couldn't come in that day. You know, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And so she's been really understanding and kind. Um, both of my bosses have kids who are now older, but they've been there before. Mm-hmm. So they get it, and they've been really kind and understanding. So I will say I have a, a little bit more flexibility there, um, kind of being in a clinic setting where there's a backup. If I was, you know, a home health person who was only was only me and I didn't have a backup, I'd have to cancel all of those sessions. Um, so that's nice. Um, we're close for the holidays, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but I will say it's kind of hard to budget pay per visit, you mm-hmm. know? So I have right now a pretty consistent caseload, but we're also off for the holidays. So like I don't get paid a whole week at Christmas and a whole week at Thanksgiving and a whole week for spring mm-hmm. break. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like bills, we have to kind of plan ahead for, mm-hmm. um, and make sure that we're, being mindful of like, okay, well, we're going to have a half paycheck at the end of this month. So we need to be careful kind of in the days leading up to that. So we'll say that that's a con. Mm -hmm. That's a drawback. I might move to a salaried position one day, but I'm really happy where I'm at. I work a four day work week, so I can't really complain. I get a whole extra day with my baby every week. Um, and I really like my kids and my families. And I feel like we're able to kind of foster really nice relationships because um, I get to see the parents every time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in a school, you don't really get to see the parents that much. So you're not really a part of – I feel like I'm a part of their family sometimes, you know. And mm-hmm. so, like, we get to be – like, have real genuine relationships with our families. Um, so I, I love that about my clinic. And I don't know if I would give that up for a salary. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I do. So it's sticky, sticky, tricky. I have a really silly question, but I think about this all the time when I think about pediatric private practices. What do you do because kids are in school 
like all day. So I'm confused about like how hours work, how you see kids, like when do you start? <laughs> I know that sounds so silly, but I'm yeah. always thinking that. Um, like you're not going to so, see a kid at 10, are you? <laughs> well, we have a lot of kids that are preschool age. That's, so we do. Okay. So we have um, we have a couple that are one. We typically don't see them until they're like 15 or 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start them about a year and a half. So we have a couple that are one. We have some, a lot of two, three and four year olds. It gets harder when they get to, 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 um, kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where, that's kind of where our business director comes in. So she doesn't typically see a full caseload, um, unless I was on maternity leave. Other than that, she doesn't typically see kids regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, except in those after school hours, just because sometimes there's not enough slots, you know, from, we consider after school to be three till whenever. So like on Mondays and Tuesdays, I have three until five thirty. So that's what, seven, seven after school spots. Mm. And then eight or nine after school spots on Wednesday, Thursday. But then you see all those kids twice a week. So then you really got like 14 after school spots. Um, so it's really only 14 kids that you can see. Um, and there are two of us who work full-time after school hours. So it's tricky. We have, we spend a whole month like trying to draft out the after school schedule. And it's like this big beast that we think about all summer because come August 1st, you've got to have a spot for all these kids. And then every year there's more kindergartners, right? Because yeah. they keep getting older. Uh, and the, and um, things keep, they keep finding out about things. Yeah. Well, and then all of our four-year-olds go to kindergarten, so we have to start it all over again. Um, it's tricky. It's it's like, um, you know, the game Sudoku where you have to mm-hmm. like make all the numbers fit just That's right? my favorite game, yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> like that. You have to like make all the all the things fit nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, or like a, it's like a puzzle sort of. So it's very satisfying when it's done though. Cause you get to look at it and be like, look at all that work I just did. Oh, yeah. It's so nice. No more intakes. No yeah, more no, intakes. No, 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 no. We only do daytime spots right now. In the university setting, mm-hmm. they teach you a lot about working at a school and working at a hospital, but they don't teach you a lot of those things that you need to know at a private practice. So what are some things that you wish you knew before you got into a private practice that maybe grad students don't know they should be thinking about and or considering? I don't know. I felt like I was well prepared. Like I think because our our two on campus pr- placements in grad school sort of functioned like a private practice. Like they were group, they were group settings. Um, so our one our pediatric on campus placement is like looks sort of like a daycare. Mm-hmm. There's eight kids, and most of them are ASD or suspected ASD. Uh, but there's eight clinicians. So each kid and each clinician is on in a one on one setting, but then like operating in this larger space together. Mm-hmm. I did have that kind of experience of like one-on-one therapy, but then now saying that I didn't have a lot of, you know, in the school, I had a lot of group therapy. So then transitioning back into that one-on-one therapy was, now that I'm thinking about it, it was harder because when you're in a group, you don't necessarily have to focus on that one kid for 30 minutes. And Mm -hmm. so kind of getting used to like, I have to keep this one child entertained for this whole amount of time. Um... And we can't play Candyland. I mean, we can't, we play a lot of Candyland, um, but we can't play Candyland where like everybody gets a turn. Getting used to that one-on-one setting again was hard, difficult, different, not difficult, different. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I learned anything about being in hospital in grad school though. Oh, really? Like, for real. Um, maybe just because that wasn't my area of interest. Mm-hmm. So I, not that I 
didn't pay attention. There's only so much you can hold but, on you know, to. No, like, we, yeah. we talk about this all the time on here. There's only so much your brain can take, you know? And yeah. they try to sh- inundate you, shove like a million things in your head. You gotta, you have to pick and choose. It's the only mm-hmm. way. And, you know, pick and choose, I don't mean you fail a class. I just mean no. you pick and choose how, what Prioritize. you want to save, yeah. save at the forefront of your brain. Mm-hmm. It's, well, in my fair. grad program was a little unique. I don't know how yours is, but, um, at the time when I was in grad school, most everybody was is in a cohort, and mm-hmm. so you're all taking the same classes at the same time. Yeah. And my grad program was not like that. So we took all of our kind of like what you would call your basics. Mm-hmm. So we all took a fluency class. We all took a voice class. We all took TBI. We all took like a child, child language and an adult language pretty much. Yeah. And then um, – Anything beyond that, we did have electives that we were able to choose. So I probably focused on like pediatric type courses. Um, so I probably didn't take a whole ton of, you know, aside from that one basic adult language or medical class, I probably didn't take a lot of electives in that area. Mm-hmm. That I'm, it was a long time ago. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> a long time ago, but now I'm like, oh, I don't even remember that, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Two whole years ago. That's kind of... Something I think about a lot, like right now, I feel like I know a lot about a lot of different mm-hmm. things. And of course, as time goes on and you start to find your focus and you find your niche, it really like narrows in. And it does. Zeroes For in. For sure. And then you, you know, you're starting to do, or at least I'm starting to do my continuing education. And so I'm just continuing to educate myself in those areas totally. and just letting the rest of it go. So, totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Is there... Anything – so when I asked that question, some of the things I had in mind, just because I don't feel like I've learned a lot about private practices, mm-hmm. um, you talked about how pay can work, at least in your setting. Mm-hmm. You did talk about how you you have to see the clients to make your pay. Yes. So then you do your notes at home or mm-hmm. later. One thing I don't think that they fully prepare you for is back to back to back to back to back to back to back sessions mm-hmm. and then remembering or finding a way to retain all of that information, especially like you said with one of the clients that you have that you can't have your laptop mm-hmm. because they might break something. Yeah. So how do you go not only back to back to back, but how do you remember even what to put in your notes? Um. So I picked this up, this data collection technique from my last supervisor in grad school. And so she did a lot of like memory type of, she did some cognitive therapy. And so she had this big book of all of these exercises and she would write on them with the wet erase marker, take the data, and then she would keep it and she'd erase it and then use it again for the next person Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the next time that client came. And so I have everybody's goals printed off in a sheet protector. Mm -hmm. And so I have a wet erase marker. And so I just take the data on their wet, on their paper. Everybody has their own paper. And then I just stack them all up and keep them and then take them home with me on the weekend. So I take all the data in real time and then do the notes later. Mm. So, um, our, our system that we use to take notes is really nice. My boss, has put in a lot of checkboxes. Um, so we're able to check like the client transitioned independently, the client, you know, transitioned with assistance, and then you can elaborate from there, but it is nice that we're not writing all of those things. So we're kind of checking like they were active, they were entertained, they appeared alert and well, you know, kind of all those token phrases that you're throwing in all the time. Um, session was reviewed with parent check. Love it. You know, so that's made it easy. And Love then efficiency. I just have to <laughs> type in the data part, which I have on my little sheet protector. So. That's perfect. Yeah. That sounds great. I hope 
a lot of other private practices do that. I know hospitals do that, and I know Mm -hmm. some schools have things like that, but I don't know a ton about anything. Me neither. This is the only place that I've taken, like, real-life notes. Yeah. You know, like, I did notes in grad school, but this is, like, this is the only practice, you know, only setting I've worked in, so I don't have a lot of experience with other systems. Fair. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, before we jumped online, we... We're chatting with my sister. Uh-huh. Are you so open to having her join us? If she and... wants to. Okay. So let me tell her to come over. Okay. Before she jumps on, mm-hmm. just so that everybody knows, you were saying, and you talked a little bit about it on here, that your supervisor doesn't necessarily work with the babies anymore, so mm-hmm. you've been taking on a lot more babies. I have, yeah. So we are going to have my sister join, who is a mom of two and she's gonna jump on and ask some questions about what it's like to be a mom other than a mom that's an SLP (laughs) (laughs) and what those questions might be that she has to be aware of what she should be looking for and things like that so we're gonna have my sister Amanda come on in just a second Sissy, what questions do you have? Well, let's get a little bit ba- a little bit of background. You have two kids. Yes. 19 months? Yes, almost 20 months and three months. 20 months and three months. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and ask Jody a couple of questions? All right. Hi, Jody. Hi. <laughs> um, so what are signs of speech delay in kids? Oh, gosh. I'm taking me back to the textbooks. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I am kind of just looking for like a lack of communication, like not necessarily like speech because kids don't speak for like the whole first year of their life, mm-hmm. but you can tell that they're developing communication kind of along the way. Um, I have a one-year-old, so we're right at that like kind of first year first, first birthday milestone. So we're starting with our words. Um, but prior to that, you know, like she's making eye contact, she's responding to her name. She's indicating that she's understanding things that I'm saying, you know, like when I say Henley stop, she stops at least for a second. And then she proceeds to do what she wants to do. (laughs) That's a hard one. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, she knows what it means. She just chooses not to. Um, so there are a lot of like foundational, you know, milestones prior to like speaking that you're looking out for, um, that general understanding and then starting to make sounds. You know, you start with those little vowel sounds, which your daughter is probably starting to like coo and goo. Um, a lot. (laughs) They're so cute. Um, I have a video of my daughter, like it's the best. Um, and they're then, little conversation partners now. I love it. <laughs> um, and then you're going to start, like, you can see her starting to go back and forth. Like, if you make that sound with her, she's going to make that sound back to you and vice versa. Um, so that's, I mean, that's like the basics of communication right there is, right? Like, talking back and forth, making those sounds. And then you're going to start to hear your M's and your B's and your P's, your mama's and your dadas. <laughs> My daughter only does dada right now because... He's the best. My son did too um, <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then you're going to, uh, so there's a lot before you say your first word, right? Um, so those little, little things along the way. Great. So you were talking about like milestones and mm-hmm. focusing on that now that she's almost one. So what are the milestones that kids should be hitting, um, you know, past the age of one? So typically I think we say like 
one word by their first birthday, you know, something in that range, one to five. And then I really just looked this up for someone else. I think it said a total vocabulary of 15 words by 18 months, I think I saw. Hey guys, this is future Christy jumping on. Full disclosure, we had a big conversation that's about to come up over the course of the next few minutes on the podcast, and I just want to get some really important information out there. So when I was in school, which is currently, but last year I was in my birth to six class, and in that class we were taught at 18 months, kiddos should be able to say about 50 single words at 18 months and start combining, and that at 24 months, kids should have 200 to 300 words and making a lot of different combinations. But when you look it up at the Hannon Center, they say that children will start combining words at 24 months. The CDC says this, AP says this. So what are we supposed to be believing here? The CDC uses theirs as a guideline, AKA what most kids are able to do versus as SLPs, we're looking for warning signs. So as this conversation continues on, please just keep a mindful ear and be doing some of your own research and agreeing and following what you think is the right thing. So I'm gonna take a pause. We're gonna jump right back into the podcast, but thanks so much for listening to this quick little interlude. 50 by 18 months. So the CDC... I'm going to jump in. This is... We, we are... Sorry, I'm so on top of So th- this is something we're looking at in school. So the CDC recently changed it to 15, and that mm-hmm. was after COVID because of a lot of the delays that they were seeing in kids yeah. and making those adjustments. But before that, it was 50. I'm a little concerned that we've um, taken that number way down because It is very that. concerning. That's not... Mm-hmm. I feel like that's it not is. okay. Well, I want to know the pre-COVID numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> So I just Googled, you know, I'm in a like Facebook due date group. And so you always have these moms asking like, oh my gosh, my baby doesn't say anything yet. I'm like, your baby's 10 months old. It's okay. (laughs) I promise. Everybody just maybe myself included looking into the new information and seeing why that information's out there and why it's changing and what's led to that. I don't have those answers. That's for sure. But it's good to kind of read up on that and figure out why that's changing and please Feel free to email us and call us out for our yes, please. (laughs) Let me know. Um, No, I will say though, like on the topic of COVID, though, I feel like we've had so many more kids coming in who are just like straight up delayed, like they're not really disordered, and then they kind of get into like a speech therapy setting and they just figure it out, Mm -hmm. you know. Just I think COVID changed so much about like the way that our society functions, and then. kids were picking up language from the grocery store and, you know, playgrounds. And so a lot of kids were not able to do that for a while. And so specifically our, like, we have like some two and three-year-olds that are just delayed. Like, I don't really think they're probably disordered. They just like, don't get it. You know, they just missed those foundational learning opportunities. Yeah. When you used to have to leave the house, even to go to work, you would take your kids with you to do just very generalized things. And now a lot of people only have to leave the house maybe once or twice a week Mm -hmm. because they're working from home. So a lot of that changes those interactions shift. And then also when you're working from home, kids might not have to go to daycare or go to school anymore. And so they're losing opportunities to have more of those conversations. Well, and if you're working from home, like you have to do what you have to do, but 
I don't, you can't be giving a hundred percent to your work and a hundred percent to your kid, you know? So something's falling by the wayside when, when you're in a work from home and trying to care from your child at the same time kind of situation. So I highly recommend Miss Rachel in those situations. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, Miss Rachel. <laughs> my son has learned a lot from her. <laughs> so what are um, steps that parents can take from day one to ensure that their child won't have a speech delay besides putting them in social environments and playgrounds? Is there anything else parents can do at home? I mean, there's no way to like ensure that your kid's not going to have a speech delay. Like there's not a lot of data there, but there's genetic component, you know, like we find that speech delays, speech disorders run in families. And so Mm -hmm. like you could do everything perfectly and your kid might still be disordered. Um, so there is a familial tie there, although the data isn't like the research hasn't really flushed out exactly what, um, but we do see that it runs in families. So you, you could do everything right and still, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I, with my own child have been trying to be really present, you know, with her. Um, it's hard, but I'm trying to like be on my phone less, you know, and I've tried to stop when during her wake times, like I'm not watching TV, you know, like, um, I'm trying to be more present with her. And so like a lot of times it's just quiet in our house and we're just, I'm just doing the dishes and talking to her and she's, you know, we have this box that just keeps floating around our house and we're trying, we keep meaning to unpack it, but it's not getting <laughs> unpacked yet because she keeps liking to play with it. Like she'll reach in there and take stuff out and then we'll clean it all back up and then she'll do it all again the next day. So I'm just kind of commenting on what she's doing. Um, we play a lot in her room with the ball and I'll say, Oh, you're putting the ball in. And then the other day she said, ball. And I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, um, that was like Lawson's second word after yay. So, yay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we like yay too. We're a big clapper over here. Um, but just that face-to-face time with my daughter, like when she was – even when she was teeny tiny, I would like sit, you know, with my knees up even when she couldn't hold her head up. So like she's resting on my knees um, and we're just looking at each other and talking to each other and – um I'm taking cute videos of her making her little noises, you know, because it goes too <laughs> fast. And I already missed that. Um, but just kind of being intentional about the time that you spend with them, I think, is is the best thing you can do. Like, But there's no guarantee, like I said. So Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's easier said than done. Like, you know, personally, I don't find that baby stage to be all that exciting. I quite frankly, I find it boring. Yeah, so my husband I kind of just want to lay her there on the mat and I'm like, okay, I'm doing tummy time because I have to, mm-hmm. but like having a conversation with a baby that's cooing at you is very cute for some people. For me, I don't get much out of it. So I forget to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do try to remind myself to do those things. And even with my son, I find a lot of the times that we are just distracted um, because it is exhausting it to is. give them that attention when they're awake. And even if you only have a couple hours with them because they're at daycare, you're making dinner or you're taking care of, you know, right. both of them or trying to get things like ready and set up for, you know, whether it's bath time or things right. like that. Yeah. And so you definitely lose that. So I think hearing that a lot of it is genetic too, mm-hmm. um, actually kind of makes me feel a little better because <laughs> um, I, I mean, think he's supposed 
supposed to be saying more than he is, but I also know that he's excelling in other areas. And so what you're talking about, like being receptive and understanding what you're saying and eye contact, like mm-hmm. those are all things that I would say my son checks the boxes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's certainly reassuring. And there's so much personality to it too. You know, like we have some kids that just like don't talk, you know, like my husband, <laughs> my husband is a super introverted, quiet person. Like he would rather just like not speak, you know, like he's a very speak when spoken to kind of person. And that's not how I am, you know? So there's personality there too. And their personalities are there now. They're, they're going to be the same people they are when they grow up. So some people are just quieter than others. And, um, we had one kid that we evaled and he came in and he could do all of the things. He just didn't like to do them. And so we didn't, he didn't qualify for services because he's capable. And his mom was like, but he doesn't talk. And we're like, well, he could. If he wanted to, you know, he's just a quiet kid. So my interesting. So speaking of those services and like coming in to get an eval, Mm -hmm. I mean, at what, okay, that seems obvious to me, right? If you're concerned that your kid's like not speaking, but like for me, I, um, I'll just give an example of our conversation today, Christy and I. So, you know, she was telling me like all the areas that, um, my son is excelling, but then she's like, he really should be saying more words than he is. And so, but I didn't know that, right? Like Mm -hmm. daycare is not telling me that he has any sort of delay like that because he can communicate what he wants to just maybe not the way that he should be at his age. And so at what point should parents like me get an eval? Like, is that a situation where we should? Are there early prevention steps that we could be taking? Well, and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good for me to know because as a parent, Mm -hmm. I really don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for. I just am like, oh, he's doing great. I think he's so smart. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's not smart, but I didn't know that he should be saying like, 150 words or something like that by this age. I mean, I don't think he says that. Yeah. Well, it's one thing is it's important to remember like, uh uh-oh and yay. Those are all words too. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking like words, words. Yes, I verified that with the doctor. Um, Well, and (laughs) And I also clarified. That's hard because we... gestures are also great as long as they have meaning. And he signs eat really well. Yes, he does. (laughs) And he signs bird. Yes, I do think that's cute. And elephant. (laughs) Um, my cousin signed frog. They had like a pond in front of their house and it had fishies and frogs. And so he was, his favorite word to sign was frog when he was baby. (laughs) So cute. Um, it was so cute. Well, I think that's hard because I think like we rely on the pediatrician to recognize, you know, to do the ages and stages questionnaire, you know, or whatever, but our pediatricians are not necessarily well-versed in this sort of thing either. We have a brand new kid who just came to our clinic whose older brother is autistic And, um, he's definitely autistic too, you know, but the Mm -hmm. pediatrician said, well, he's just mimicking what the older brother does. And we're like, oh, no, you know, like he's also autistic, but it took way too long to get him started because the pediatrician wasn't well-versed in what to look for. Mm -hmm. So it's like, where do we look for this information? Mm -hmm. ASHA and the CDC have different rules. So it's, you kind of, what do you do? And I don't have the answer for that. You know, I think we just need a better process overall, but I don't necessarily know what that is, you know? Yeah. Because I feel sorry. I just, I feel (laughs) like at the pediatrician, like I love our pediatrician. I mean, she has always spent like time with us and like explaining those things. And yeah, we do fill out the questionnaire and we do at daycare and the daycare 
daycare does their own um, evaluation, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And they start that from the minute they get there. Um, so even just a couple weeks mm-hmm. old, which may not really mean much. <laughs> um, but it is interesting because I don't feel like we we go through that in detail at the pediatrician's office either. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they're just scanning it for any like red flags or maybe they're just checking they a box like, yeah. Hey, we just have to fill this out. Um, I mean, but I, I think she, I know she told me by like 18 months, he should be saying like 50 words, but I don't, I guess I don't know. Like yeah. after that, what right. what he's supposed to be hitting and I didn't know that he was supposed to be pairing them and I'm like oh my goodness I he doesn't do that it's, and I, I told you I told you earlier also you don't need to freak out about that <laughs> but I but I am though because I obviously care right. as other parents but you want to do what's best for your kid and so yeah. like I mean the worst my recommendation is always like seek out services because the worst thing that happens is they come and see your kid and they say actually they're doing great um my daughter actually qualified for ECI for physical therapy. Mm. Um, she was born four weeks early. So she was just like a teeny tiny bit delayed. She was on track for her actual age, but a little bit behind for her adjusted age. And so she ended up qualifying for physical therapy through ECI for a very brief time. I think we were only in it like 12 weeks and she was able to close that gap. And now we're moving forward on her real age or her not adjusted age. I think I got them mixed up, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and there's so, all these things between like the um, like birth age, just oh the, gosh, like, yeah. There's so many age. things. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the worst thing that happens is you seek out services and they say, actually, you're doing great right now, but come back to us if these things happen, right? Because then you're speaking to an expert and that person can give you better advice on like what to look for um, or, you know, what's not concerning or what is concerning. Because I know we do see families that don't qualify, but we say, but. If they get to this age and this is still an issue, then that's when we need to kind of move forward with services. And so I those, just uh, one second. I just want to jump in <laughs> and say I think it's easy to be frustrated with a pediatrician because maybe they're not noticing these things, but they're looking at a lot of the not only whole well-rounded, but the physical being as well, a lot of the medical side of it. And they're not as informed and they're not as up to date on the speech side of it. They, they, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. What's at the forefront of your mind is what you're, (laughs) what you're really focusing on. And that's, there's so much that they need to look at. And a lot of parents come in just because they have another kid who was doing this and the other kid isn't doing that. Or they notice that their, their kids' friends are doing things that their child isn't doing. And it takes time to get to that. And it doesn't mean that your kid isn't going to, you know, get services and it's going to improve and they're going to have a full, well-rounded, amazing, beautiful life. It's just that it's intimidating and it's a little scary at first hearing about it. We talked about that too. Yeah. Well, because it's first-time parents, you really don't know. No. Well, I'm not. Gosh, I feel like I'm winging it and I have a whole master's degree. You know what I mean? Like, this is my thing. And I still, like, find myself using my knowledge to influence her, you know, like... um, Like I was telling you, I feel like I'm limiting her sometimes because I know that my child should say her first word around 12 months, you know, or like 11 or 12 months. Well, she said her first word at 10 months. And at the time I was like, well, that's not possible because (laughs) (laughs) she's supposed to do that at 12 months. And so I was like, well, that's not a real word. No No, way. (laughs) That can't be, you know, and I even texted my mom and I was like, I feel like she just said this. 
And I would count this if this was my client, but she's not supposed to be doing that yet. So (laughs) that can't be right, you know? And so it's like, she what? I mean, I'll never forget it. It was so cute. We were in our playroom and the dog walked in and she looked at the dog and she looked at me and she looked back at the dog and she said, Ada, and that's our dog's name. And I was like, no, no way. (laughs) But if it was my client, I would have counted that. So I kind of... Yeah, I find myself using my knowledge to like be like, oh, that's not that's not possible. We we are not doing that yet, you know. So, um, I think just because you have more knowledge doesn't mean you're better at parenting for sure. Things are still hard. I still feel like I'm winging it. I feel like I would be so in my head constantly, so much. I'm already like that with my clients now. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I making sure I'm getting everything? Maybe they should go in for another eval. My kid has <laughs> typical like. Their language pattern is typical, but sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, are they stuttering? <laughs> right. <laughs> when they're stumbling over your words, you're like, that's a fluency. That's <laughs> fluency. That's fluency. And I just want to make sure that they're getting the best service possible. And uh-huh. I just don't want to be the one to miss catching it, mm-hmm. which is also a scary thought. Yeah. Hmm. Can parents just come in for evals like free or um, again, speaking from a parent, there's so many costs when it comes to childcare. And so I feel like people might be pushing that to the side and being like, oh, well, I think they're okay and yeah. not doing anything about it because they don't know what's involved. Right. Yeah. So for our clinic, so from the private practice perspective, it depends on your insurance. Um, so for some of our clients, they don't even need a referral. They can just come, you know, if you call your clinic and they, you say, this is the insurance I have, we can tell you we need a doctor's referral or we don't. Um, and then the cost is kind of dependent on your insurance. But I know for like at least ECI in our area, the evaluation is free. Um, so you can call, you can self-refer to ECI. You can just call and say like, I'm concerned about my kid in this area. Can we, you know, schedule an evaluation to come out and see them? So in our area, ECI is free. I don't know if that's the case everywhere. I think it's yeah. supposed to be across the U.S. It's supposed to be like you, like school for kids. They're supposed to be able to start getting mm-hmm. free school in kindergarten. I believe it's supposed to be across the U.S., but it might vary on the type of clinic you can go to. Yeah. So we are not, I know the evaluation was free and we pay a, our ECI program is a cost share. So there's like an X number amount, but that's like the max that you would pay based on your income or whatever. So we pay like $25 a month and we get however many sessions we get during that month, which right now we're only doing one session a month. But if we were having five sessions a month, it would still be the same price. And that's just based on our income and our insurance and, you know, whatever. But if you had concerns, you could call, you know, your local clinic and just ask them, you know, see, this is my insurance. What would it cost? You need a referral, um, that sort of thing. Your pediatrician also probably has clinics that they would recommend going to. So if you called your pediatrician and said, hey, I might be concerned in this area, who should I talk to? They probably have a list of clinics that they typically refer to. So that's that's a good way to go to, to find a clinic and then speak to them. So. And how can you ensure as a parent that your, that the eval your kid is getting is actually like valid, right? I mean, there's... A, it's like going to a doctor, right? You know, when you go to a doctor, whether or not they have good bedside manner or whether or not they genuinely care about what you're trying to tell mm-hmm. them or, you know, like what you're telling them and making sure they're receptive to it. How do you know that your kid's getting an evaluation that's quality, especially like for me when I think, oh, okay, a free service. I don't know. I'm always a little <laughs> bit like, is that even going to be good? Yeah. I mean, so that, 
from from the ECI perspective, I feel like it's that's the law. You know, like we have to, <laughs> they have to give it to you for free because that's what the government says to do. Um, I know for our clinic, like we really try and foster a welcoming and happy environment for our children. So we do try and separate the child in the lobby first and try and do the evaluation separate from the parent just because no shame to any parents out there because I'm also a parent, but like I talk for my kid, you know, like I know what she needs. And so I'm just going to do it. And oh, I see that she needs help. So let me just help her. And so I'm not always necessarily giving her the opportunity Back to giving your kid the opportunity to speak is a great strategy. You know, like if you see that they're struggling, don't help them. Wait for them to ask for help. Um, It's a therapy strategy I use all the time, but I forget to do it with my own kid, right? <laughs> um, so we do try and evaluate the child separately at our clinic to really see the full extent of their abilities. And not that we're trying to stunt our child's abilities, but like we see they're struggling and we want to help them because that's yeah, where they're your parental instinct. Um, <laughs> or even better, no, no, but he's saying that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have one mom that the child is just having a really hard time separating from her. And so she brings him into this session every time and he sits in her lap and she interprets everything for him. And she just assumes that, you know, that's what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, but you're not giving him the opportunity to like try. You know, like if you're saying da for cup and I'm like, oh, why don't you try cup? And then you say, he said cup. Well, okay. Thanks. No, I mean, but that, that's a good point, right? Like, so all parents out there, if you're no, going I to just, do something like listen to what they're trying to do for the eval, whether that's separating them or, I mean, you know, tight together. <laughs> I mean, I just, there's not a perfect, like, there's no way to say like, this was great, you know, and I definitely feel like they assess my kid perfectly because kids are kids and they have good days and they have bad days. And so sometimes our kids are going to come into therapy and I know that they can do this and they're not. And that's frustrating for me because I know you can do it, but you're just having a bad day or you don't want to, or, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to do things some days either. So I would just honestly go with your gut. If you walk into a clinic and you're like, this does not feel like a good place, then turn around and walk out. You know, like, <laughs> um, if you don't like the vibe of that place or you don't feel like you get along with the people, then then go seek out services somewhere else. You know, um, you always have that option. That's the great thing about there being so many speech therapists is like not every kid and every therapist are a good fit necessarily, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. So Ciela, you have one more question if you want. I think I, that was all my questions. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So then let's jump into our wrap up section. Okay. Okay, Jody, what is your dream job? If you could handpick the perfect setting, the perfect clients, what would that be? I don't know. I really like my job. Like, I just really like my clinic. Like I told you before, Mm -hmm. I would go maybe salaried sometime just for the ability to be able to budget and to know exactly how much I'm going to make every week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love my clients and I love my family and I love my clinic. Um, so right now that's, they're probably my dream job. Um, and I think that's going to change, you know, as my family grows and when my daughter's in school, I might want to have, you know, summers off. So we'll just kind of see where life takes me, but I'm really happy where I'm at right now. Totally. I, I, I think that that's when I, I was telling Amanda this offline a while ago, my sister, uh, that, Something that's pretty cool is your interests change based off of your life, especially in our field. It can grow and it can change with your kids or your parents or 
your niece and nephew and something that's happening there and it sparks an interest. And that's how so many people get into our field too, mm-hmm. or personality tests, which once again, Google it. I need one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next question is what is your go-to movie book or TV series when you need a mood boost? Um, did I mention that I have an almost one year old? So like, I don't have free time. Um, <laughs> but I did, uh, um, I'm, uh, one of those anti-screen time moms. So I'm trying to get back into reading because I'm not, it was easy. I could watch my shows and I could turn her away when she was tiny, but you know, once she got head control, then she could turn around and look at that. How so, could she? Oh, rude. <laughs> um, so now I can't watch my shows anymore. No. Um, I've been just trying to get back into reading, but I haven't read like for fun in such a long time, you know, like school takes it out of you Mm -hmm. reading wise. And so like, I didn't never read for fun. And then I just, I don't know. So I'm trying to get, I don't even know what I like, you know, I feel like I'm trying to find my like um, one whole year postpartum, you know, I'm trying to figure out who I am again. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I'm reading lots of different things. I read some you know, that Verity by Colleen Hoover. It's like a mystery. I read yeah. that one. I'm reading some romance. I'm reading some, Love I don't, it. I know I don't like, like nonfiction. So not that. Um, but just, um, I have a library card, so I'm just going to like try different stuff. See what I like. I love that. Yeah. I love using the library, free resources. Go you can, I don't know if you know this, you can get the app for yes. your library, the Libby app, and you can rent your books on your phone and you can get audiobooks. Yes. Which so is cool. amazing. Everybody get Libby and your local library card. (laughs) And then the last question, where can our listeners find and follow you? Um, So I'm private on like all my social medias because I have my baby on there and you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know who's on the internet, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that because all my, all my Instagrams and everything are locked down. Can any of our listeners email you if they're interested in reaching out, if they have questions or anything you said really sparked an interest for them? Yeah. So my email is just like Jody Lynn Hayes. Can you write that down for them? I will. It'll be, everything will be in the show notes. So everything you say and mention. Okay. Because I don't want to spell it all out, but it's Jody Lynn Hayes (laughs) at gmail.com. I'm pretty good about email. Actually, I get back like, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. So don't text me though, because those things get lost. I open those and then like never go back to them. But yeah, email's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh, I do that too. <laughs> I'm worse at email though. You can, but I guess you can mark it as unread after you. Open yeah, it. you can Facebook message me, but I probably won't accept your friend request just because you know strangers on the internet. But it's Jody Lynn Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, absolutely link that there. Okay. Her messages there will probably also go into a pit of nothingness. <laughs> I, I'm pretty good about checking those too. Okay. I like to just go look every once in a while. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to my sister for jumping on and asking some awesome mom questions. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Jody, thank you again so very much thank for you. coming out, visiting me here in Texas. I mean, I visited you guys in Texas, but for coming here and doing this with me, I super appreciate it. Yeah, of course. We're just around the corner from my parents' house, so. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, everyone, we will catch you next week. Hey guys, future Christy jumping on here one more time. I wanted to know, it's been about a month since we originally did this interview and my sister's son has had a massive vocabulary growth spurt. And I just think it's great to keep in mind that sometimes this happens with kids, especially under two. And it's something we can mention to parents that uh, those things just happen and it's not really something we can plan for, but it's really great to see.
Thank you all so much for listening to Speeching It Real. Please help us reach a bigger audience by rating us five stars and dropping a review. You can contact me anytime on Instagram at speechingitreal or via email at speechingitreal at gmail.com. You can reach out with any questions, comments, or recommendations.